Well, good morning. Uh, here we are again before the Lord and his word. And this morning, what I want us to begin with is prayer. I believe that we are not playing games this morning. We have God's word before us. We are sitting in our homes and we are ready to listen to him. And in many ways, what we are doing right now can be very tiring, very frustrating. It can kind of feel like, oh, here we go again. And so what I want to do is pray that God Almighty would speak to us this morning through his word. And so would you pray with me that he would do that? Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, we know that in many ways, the medium that we are working through is frustrating. But we trust you to speak through your word to our hearts. And I pray that we as your servants will be listening. Help our minds focus upon you and your word. God, Holy Spirit, will you come? Speak into our hearts, convict our souls and our minds. May we learn to ever love you more this morning. Cherish you more deeply. I pray, Lord, we need you to speak. We are thirsty for your word. Many of us right now feel in spiritual drought and depression. And Lord, we need you to speak and revive our souls. So we pray, Lord, that you would do your work. This morning, Lord, you know my weaknesses and my frailties and you know those of frailties and weaknesses of those listening. I pray, Lord, that you by your spirit would come through all of that and speak to our hearts. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. As we begin this morning, I want to read to you one verse from the scriptures. And as I read this verse to you, I want to ask you this question. Does this verse resonate with your heart in any way right now? I want to read this verse and ask yourself, as I read it, does it resonate with your heart right now? Let me read it to you. It's Romans 7, 19. Let me read it to you. I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Let me read that to you again. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. In other words, I've trusted in Jesus. I follow Jesus. He is, he is my Lord. He is my King. And I want to do good by him. I want to serve him. I desire to give him my whole life and, and all of me. I desire to live a holy and good life before him, except every time I try and follow him and try and do the good that he is calling me to do, evil is right there with me. I want to do good, but evil just won't let me go. Does that resonate with you? It's, it's like this. There, there's these things that we carry around in our pockets every single day. Our phones, right? 
And all the time, what are our phones doing? They're, they're beeping and they're vibrating and they're, they're chirping and vying for our attention every second of the day. We get texts, we get WhatsApps, we get emails, we get messages on Messenger. We have all this stuff vying for our attentions, notification after notification after notification. Even when we want to stop it, we just turn it down, but we can never turn it off. That's what sin is like in our lives. We want to live our lives normally, but we have this, this kind of phone in our pocket. The sin that is still there always remains, and it is constantly beeping and buzzing and vibrating and calling and vying for our attention. And it becomes impossible for us to say no. And we say as Christians, I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. Does that resonate with you? Over the next two weeks, here's what we're going to talk about. That reality, that wrestle, that battle of good and evil. And every Christian, the moment you believe in Jesus, the moment you trust in him by faith, is the moment you've entered into that battle, that battle between good and evil that has been raging since the garden. That's the battle that you are part of. And over this next two weeks, we're going to look at that battle that takes place between good and evil in the life of the Christian. And so what I want to do for you this morning is just read to you 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 8 to 17. And as I read that, I want you to see these words, good and evil, good and evil. And this morning, our focus then will be verses 8 to 12. So let me read all these verses to you. And, and maybe you have a, a pencil and you don't mind marking your Bible. Good and evil. Or look for righteousness as well. And see what the Lord would say. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. That you may obtain blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, 
If that should be God's will, then doing evil. Did you hear that battle? Right throughout the text, the battle between good and evil, the battle that is raging for everyone who has trusted in Jesus. There is this battle that you have entered and that battle has been raging since the garden between good and evil. That is the battle that you have entered into. And so what I want to do this morning is we focus in on this battle that is taking place. I want that to shape how we talk about these verses. And we're just going to look at verses 8 to 12 this morning. And we're going to look at at what Peter is calling us as Christians to do. What Peter is calling us as Christians to live. And the first thing I think he's, he's calling on us to do is to have good relationships. He wants us to have good relationships with one another. Listen to what he says. Verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. In In those verses, what he wants us to have is good relationships. And in in the last few verses, like we've been talking about last week, all of it has been about relationships, hasn't it? All of it. How are you as a Christian who is trusted in Christ by faith, how are you going to have good relationships in your life now that you've put your faith in Jesus? And so he he began earlier on in the chapter, you're citizens who trust in Jesus. How are you as citizens going to live with the government? Well, you're going to subject yourself to them. And slaves, how are you as slaves going to live with your masters? Well, you are going to subject yourselves to them. And likewise, wives, how are you going to live in your marriage relationship with your husband? You are going to subject yourself to them. And likewise, husbands, how are you going to live in this relationship with your wife? You are going to live in an understanding way. But... What could have happened over the last few weeks is, is you could have said to your, yourself, well, I'm not, I'm not a slave, so I, I don't need to listen to that. Or, or I'm not a wife, so I may as well go for a little bit of a nap now because this doesn't apply to me. Or I'm not a, a husband, so, so this verse doesn't apply to me, so I may as well go for a little sleep right now. But then what happens is this in verse 8. He says these words, finally, all of you. And he says that word finally, not as a conclusion for the letter, because he still has like two more, two and a half more chapters to go. He's saying finally as a conclusion on the basis of all the relationships he has been talking about. Now he's not going to be specific, he is going to be general. This is for all of you. Every single one of us right now listening in, whether young or old, whether you're listening in with your parents or you are are listening in on your own or with your family, this is for all of you. That means all of us are to wake up and hear what God wants to say to us. And what God wants to say to us as a church and as a people who follow him and love him, here is what he wants to say. I want you to have good relationships. 
And here are five ingredients for those good relationships. The five ingredients are this, unity, sympathy, brotherly love, tenderness, and humility. If you want to have good relationships in the church, here are the five ingredients you need. And if this verse, if you were to picture this verse as a mountain, and that's the way this verse is almost structured. If you were to picture this verse as a mountain, at the very top of the mountain, at the peak of the mountain, at the summit of the mountain would be this brotherly love. It is the most important ingredient for all these relationships. You have on one side two ingredients, you have on the other side two other ingredients, but at the peak of the mountain is brotherly love. Without this, you do not have good relationships. And so that's what he's calling us to ultimately is this idea of brotherly love. Now, we know in the scriptures, as you look in the scriptures, it, it talks over again and again about brothers, brothers and sisters. Paul uses this address so many times. In fact, over 130 times in Paul's letter, he uses this word, Adelphoi, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters as an address. And it's interesting, you know, if, if you were to... Um, and look at my conversations with, with some of the lads in the church and how I might text them or how I might address them. Often I will use that phrase, brothers, my brother. And what I'm really recognizing is this, even though it's lost some of its meaning and I use it far too much. What I'm really recognizing is this, is that they are my brother in the faith. But what Peter is saying here is that it is a lot more than just an address, how you would speak to someone. It's not just an address, it is how you would treat someone with brotherly love. And the word he uses is quite different from the word that Paul uses over 130 times. This word, which is one word in the original brotherly love, this word is used only one time ever in the entirety of the New Testament corpus, and it is here, used by Peter, brotherly love. That is significant, because the emphasis isn't so much just on the love, but on the family nature of that Love. It is family love. It is brotherly love. Which means this. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus is the moment you got a new father. It blows my mind that when I pray, I pray to my father who is in heaven. I can talk to him in such a way that says, Abba, Father, and he wants to listen to me. So the moment I believed, I got a new father. But the moment I believed, I also got a new family, new siblings, new brothers and sisters. And I am called to treat them with love. As a father would instruct his earthly children, you should love your brother and sister. So God, our father, would instruct his children. 
you should love your brothers and sisters. And how should we love our brothers and sisters? Well, it is in this verse, unity, sympathy, tenderness and humility. This is how you do it. And I could go through all those words this morning and that would be of great profit to us. But I just want to hone in on one word for us as we consider the good relationships that God is calling us to. One word and that is sympathy. Sympathy. All of us have experienced great pain and suffering in life. Some of us more pain than others. All of us right now, we're experiencing suffering and heartache in various levels because of the pandemic and, and different things going on in our lives. And what we need from our brothers and sisters is, is sympathy. And if you think of the people that Peter is writing to, they are a people under persecution. They're under persecution as citizens from the government. They're under persecution as slaves from their masters. They're under persecution as wives from their husbands. And they need something from their brothers and sisters when the whole world is against them, when everything is going wrong. They need their brothers and sisters on their side, feeling their pain, standing side by side with them, showing them sympathy. And this is what we are called to, brothers and sisters. Sympathy. That we would see someone's pain, see their struggle, and communicate a genuine sorrow and pity toward them with our actions. The problem is we often make this very hard for one another to do. We make it hard on ourselves to show sympathy sometimes to our brothers and sisters. Here's why. Because we think to ourselves, when we see them going through a pain or going through a struggle, we might see it as so severe and we might say to ourselves, well, I've never experienced something like they're going through right now. So I can't really speak into that. I don't really know what to say. I don't really know what to do. So it'd be too awkward for me to enter into that conversation and enter into that space. So do you know what I'll do? Because it would be too awkward and too hard and, and, and they wouldn't get me. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep quiet here and I'm just going to pray for them. Well, you should pray for them. But you, you should also say something to them. Oh, it is better to say something than nothing at all. And sometimes maybe you should say nothing at all, but you should always be there. So we make it difficult for ourselves as we see the pain of others. But then also, if we are those who are going through pain, we make it difficult for others to show sympathy to us. Because here's what happens when we're going through a pain and a suffering and a sorrow that no one else is seemingly experiencing what a weird thing happens to us. We start to get angry at other people because we say to ourselves, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't understand all the pain that I'm going through and the suffering and the heartache. They don't know. They wouldn't get it. And so we don't allow people to sympathize with us because we say to ourselves, well, they don't understand. And that should never be the case. You should allow people 
express sorrow and sympathy to you. And yes, they will get the words wrong. And yes, they will do the wrong thing. But this is brotherly love. It is calling us to show sympathy to one another in our sorrow and pain. That is what it means to have good relationships. And this is for all of you. The second thing he calls us to is not only good relationships, but good reactions in this world. Good relationships in this world, when we're experiencing suffering, do you know what we need? We need unity, we need sympathy, we need brotherly love, we need humility, and we need tenderness. When we're going through suffering, we we need that. But we also need good reactions when we're going through suffering. Verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Do not repay evil for evil. In other words, don't react. When people speak against you and do horrible things to you, watch your reactions. I was a person very much of very bad reactions, especially when it came to sport. If someone said something to me, the intensity of the game that was going on, if someone said something to me, straight away I would say it back. If someone would hit me in a game, straight away I would want to get them back. If someone would do anything to me, straight away I would want to get them back. And that is the human reaction and response. Just to get them back. If they do evil to me, I'm going to do evil to them. That is justice. Well, not for the Christian. Here's what he says in this verse, plain and simple, to those who are suffering by their government, suffering by their masters, suffering in these relationships, he says, do not repay evil for evil. Instead, I think we need to be ready to do a few things when people do evil against us. The first thing, the first way we should react I think is this, we should leave vengeance to the Lord. We should be ready to react by not leaving vengeance to us and judgment to us. We should leave judgment to the Lord. Here's why I say that. Romans 12 verse 19 says this, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. It is the Lord's job to repay when others do evil. And so what we should do, how we should react is pray, Lord, will you bring your judgment? It's the first way we should react. The second way I think we should react is we should get ready to receive this evil response and reviling. Reviling is another word for insulting. 
We should be ready to receive insults. We should be ready to give all of this to the Lord. And we should be ready to receive all of this in in our lives. It is baffling to me sometimes that Christians are surprised when sufferings comes. That Christians are surprised when their workmates mock them and insult them. That they're surprised when family members hate them. This is part of what it is to be a Christian. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. We cannot avoid it and so what we need to do is get ready for it. And if it hasn't come in your life, it is going to come in your life. So get ready for it. Get ready to receive it and get ready to give it to God. But also I would say, Get ready to repay it. And you say, well, I thought you said that we're to give it all to God. But this verse says, actually, you are to repay it. But not with evil. It says, on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called. What we are called to do as Christians when others speak evil against us and revile us and hate us, and we'll talk more about this next week, but what we are to do, on the contrary, is we are to bless. Now, how are we to bless? Well, you could bless with your words in terms of speaking good to those who speak evil to you. You could do that. But ultimately, Ask the question this, where does ultimate blessing come from? The ultimate blessing comes from above. So if I'm going to bless someone else, how am I going to do that? How am I going to bless someone else? If blessing comes from above, I go to the Lord and I say to the Lord, Lord, will you shine your favor upon them? Lord, will you bless them? That is a tough calling. That is so counterintuitive to what we would say we would need to do in our life. And yet we need to remember we are not the judge. In this world, everybody says you deserve your rights. You need to give other people what they deserve. The Christian says this, no. If they speak evil against me, I'm going to bless them. (laughs) Why? For to this you have been called. What's your calling in life? Again, we want big callings and great callings and mighty callings. Our calling is to bless. And in doing this, do you know what we are doing? We are following the very example of Christ. Because what Peter does is he uses the exact words that he used of Christ earlier in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. It says this. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you might follow in his footsteps. He left us an example. And we are to follow in his steps. And what were his steps? Verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. When he was insulted, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. That is our example. When others revile us, when others insult us, we bless. That is Jesus. There he was on the cross. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The ultimate example of blessing those who hate you. And so those are the two things we are called to in our lives. We are called to good relationships and we are called to good reactions. And then what Peter does is he gives us a reason for having good relationships and having good reactions. In fact, he quotes Psalm 34 to give us the reason. Here is the reason. Verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. Let's stop there for a second. He begins verse 10 by saying for, and really what that means is because. Here's why you are to have good relationships. Here's why you are to have good reactions, because whoever desires to love life and see good days will do this. We, we, we want good relationships and we want good reactions. Why? Because we want to see good days. We want to see good days. This is why he ends verse 9 by saying that you may obtain a blessing. That you might see good days. Here's why you're to do this good behavior so you will see good days. And what does he mean by good days? I believe he means eternal life. Not just good days on this earth, but good days in the world to come. You see, I believe there's a connection between Peter's words here and Jesus' words before on the Sermon on on the Mount. As Emer was reading so well for us this morning. Jesus took his disciples aside and he said to them, Blessed are you, chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. For great is your reward in heaven. Here's what he's saying to us as his disciples. You're blessed when others hate you and revile you and insult you. In fact, Jesus says you should rejoice at that. You say, that is nuts. That's insane. I'm not going to rejoice at that. He says, wait. Because your reward in heaven is going to be great. You will see good days. And this is why 
You are to behave in this way so that you will see these good days. So have good relationships, have good reactions, because good days are coming. And we could then make the mistake. You know, it it kind of sounds like, Shane, maybe you're talking about, look, um, good relationships plus, plus good reactions equals good days. Is that what you're saying? Because then that would mean that good relationships, good reactions equals eternal life. That means you are saying, follow me, good works equals eternal life. And that's not ultimately what he is saying. That couldn't be what Peter is saying. In fact, Peter spent the whole of chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 making sure that we knew our salvation was not because of our good works, but because of God's good works. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Was it our good works that caused us to be born again on the basis of that verse? No. And he spent the rest of chapter 1 saying, no, it is not about your good works. And yet... Those of us who have been saved by God's good work are going to live out their lives with good works. And so the evidence that we will see good days, the fruit that we are to bear as Christians is going to be these things in our lives. Good relationships, good reactions. And what he says here, good speech and good actions. Look at verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And so if we are going to live consistently in light of the good work of salvation that God has done in our lives, we need to watch our speech. It talks about the tongue. He talks about keeping our tongue. In James chapter 3, James talks about the tongue. Write James chapter 3 in your book or sheet or whatever you're writing on and read it later for yourself. In James chapter 3, James talks about the tongue and he says, The tongue, it is like a wildfire. It is impossible to put it out. Or, he says, the tongue, it is like a wild animal. It is impossible to tame. And so Christians, in in fighting this battle, it is the phone that keeps on ringing in our lives. And fighting this battle, we need to put out the fire of our tongue. Tame our tongue. Watch our speech. Keep in our speech. That is part of the battle. I don't know about you, but I often find myself asking some questions in relation to my tongue. Did I really just say that? I can't believe I just said that. That ever happened to you? 
See, we have a battle. We have been saved by faith in Christ Jesus to enter into that battle against ourselves. And then he talks about our actions. He says in, in, in verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. So I'm to keep my tongue and I'm to turn away from evil actions. And then in my life, I ask questions, not just about my speech, but I ask questions about my action. Do you ever ask this type of question? Why did I just do that? Did I just do that? I want to do good. I want to do good. But the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It's a battle. And if we want to see good days, we are to persevere in that battle against our speech and against our actions, following after the Lord. And so why... Do we want to have good relationships and good reactions? Because we want to see good days. And he gives us a second reason. And this is the last reason he gives us in these verses. That we should react in these ways. He says this in verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Why would we want to have sympathy to one another and love to one another? Why would we want to react well when others speak evilly against us? Because we know that God sees us. Did you notice how it described the Lord? It says his, his eyes, his ears, his face in Psalm 34. And it is not that God, he's describing God and we know that God is spirit. And so when he's saying that in Psalm 34, it's not that God has eyes or ears or a face. What God is doing is using language that we might understand. The, the nerds call this an anthropomorphic expression, giving human features to God who is spirit so that we might understand him. And what does it say in these verses that God is doing? What does it say about his eyes? It says this about his eyes. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And when it is talking about God's eyes, it is talking about his fatherly care for the righteous. His eyes are upon his people. His eyes are upon his children. His eyes are upon those who have been saved by Christ and those who live life in light of Christ. His eyes are upon them. 
<laughs> it is like me with my children yesterday. There was we were on a green, and 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 at one point, one was up a tree, the other was on on skates, skating along the park, and the and the other was crossing the road. And the father's eyes is always looking at the one on the tree, the one in the skates, and the one crossing the road. That is the father's eyes getting ready to care and react. And this is the father's eyes toward the righteous. And so how do we know we are righteous? 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. That's how we become righteous. Through the death of Christ on the cross. And his eyes are on the righteous. You want your, his eyes to be on you in that fatherly way. And what does it say about his ears? Verse 12. And his ears are open to their prayer. Do you not want God to listen to you and hear your prayer? Turn to him. Trust in Jesus' death on the cross for your righteousness and live in that righteous way that he might not only see you, but he might hear you as well. Because yesterday, what was I doing as a father? I was not looking only at the tree or at the skates or crossing the road. What does the loving father do? He listens out to the call of his children. So that if one were to shout out for help, he would come and rescue and hear. And that is our God. If you want him to hear you, you live for him. And then at the end of this verse, it comes with a warning. What is the face of the Lord doing? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. His eyes are on the righteous. His ears hear the prayers of his people. But his face is against those who are doing evil. Is your life full of The practice of evil. If it is, it may be that God's face is against you right now. It may be that the wrath of God is faced against you right now. That the judgment of Almighty God is faced against you right now. And the call is for you to turn. Turn from your sin and trust in him. And the Christian will hear that warning of God's face being against them. And the Christian will always turn. Crying out to the Lord and the Lord will hear your prayer. Cry out to the Lord and he will see you again. Trust in him for your righteousness. This is why 
we want to live lives that have good relationships and good reactions because we want God to see us and hear us and not turn his face against us. God, would you help us live this life for you? You know what Paul said? He said this, I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. But at the end of that chapter, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how we get rescued, brothers and sisters. Let us respond uh, by singing to the Lord um, a song. I think it is, My Worth is Not in, in What I Own. So let's sing that song together. And then after this, we will have a time of reflection. If there's any verses that came to mind, any questions that came to mind, any thoughts that came to mind uh, during the sermon, we can chat about that together. If you just want to encourage one another, show love to one another, even right now, uh, let us do that right now. So let us sing together. <laughs>